Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interview Pitain Strangholt, Senior Cloud Solution Architect at Microsoft. Pitain wrote a couple of articles on domain-driven design, or DDD, for data specifically, that were a great introduction to the concept and helped to explain a lot that where I was still having some questions about things. Uh, the article and its follow-up are, are linked in the show notes, as well as another article in Pitain's book. I highly recommend reading uh, at least both of the articles, whether that's before or after listening to the podcast, maybe both. (laughs) I tried to get a simple blueprint for getting started with DDD for data, as this is a question that I get very, very frequently. And the answer is that it really isn't that simple to have a super easy way to start for all organizations. You're going to kind of have to adapt it for what your organization is trying to do and how fast you're looking to move, how deep you're looking to really define your domains uh, in general up front. Pete does recommend that you put more work in up front than I think a lot of people are hoping is the answer relative to doing domain-driven design for data. Uh, there's also the general recommendation that I hear Pretty much any time people talk about DDD, which is to read the blue book, which is Eric Evans' original book on domain-driven design. That is also linked in the show notes. For a company to move forward with DDD for data, you don't need every person in the org to actually understand DDD. There needs to be enough of a group that can go around and actually figure out what domains you want to focus on and where you want and how you want to draw your boundaries around your domains. But you don't need every single person in the company reading the blue book. When you think about domains, you can map a domain to a business capability, but maybe an easier starting point is to find an application that serves only one business capability or one thing. You can kind of start from the technology and work backwards for your first couple of data products, thinking about how you're, you're creating your domain. Pitain gives a good example in his article 
uh, about how an airline might have baggage handling and lost items as a domain in general globally, or that might be a domain specific to a region like Asia or Europe or things like that. And it would be operated separately from the same, you know, business capability in other regions. So those are different domains. To be honest, I'm still trying to fully understand what DDD really means, especially for data. But I really do love Pete Hines' comment about how we communicate technically from one domain to another via data products. And he talks about this a lot more in his uh, second article that I link in the show notes uh, called Implementing a Data Mesh in Azure. I think if you start from there, you start to really think of the data products as the key to mapping your domains. It can be a little bit of chicken and egg relative to do you map out your domains before you map out your data products or you map out your data products before you map out your domains. But I think you can start with the data products, but that's, as Pete Hines said, generally not recommended. You can pretty quickly um, find yourself in in a lot of hot water with that. Uh, You can start with the business capability, which is more recommended or you know, what, what he talked about is probably the easiest way to form a rough sketch is to start with the applications and find the ones that support only one business capability and start to map those as domains first and kind of then use the other two approaches when you're having more questions about is this a domain or, or things like that. So I'm looking forward to continuing down this learning path. Um, I think this is a great first episode in this series around learning about DDD for data and learning about DDD in general. So thanks, Pete Hine, for setting me off on a great path. I think you'll find that it's a great uh, intro for you as well. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Really excited about this episode on domain-driven design for data. I've got Pitain Strangholt here. He's a senior uh, cloud solution architect at Microsoft, and he's a data mesh thought leader. He's put out a lot of very good uh, content around data mesh, around a lot of topics. I specifically reached out to him because he had put out a really good article around um, domain-driven design for data, so I wanted to his brain around this concept, as I know a lot of people out there are struggling with where to get started, how to do it, you know, all of the different aspects of, of that. So with that, uh, Pitain, if you could give a little bit of an introduction to yourself and kind of how you moved into kind of the data mesh concept and that you were kind of doing a lot of this stuff earlier before Jamak uh, had even published anything, but uh, we'd love to hear about your background and then we can transition into 
the uh, the specific DDD for data type questions. Cool. Thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks a lot also for the uh, invitation. Um, so my name is Piet Heinz Strenghold. I work for Microsoft currently. I joined that company eight months ago uh, in the role of a cloud solution architect and working from the Netherlands. Um, and my main focus is indeed on data management, data architecture, uh, data engineering. Uh, prior uh, to Microsoft, I worked for AWN Amro, where, um, and I think this is maybe also the start uh, and ties back into what you said, well, uh, um, data mesh. I joined that company five and a half years ago, and then the chief architect at that time, he asked me, well, Piet Hein, could you, in the role of a consultant, please look at the existing architecture we have? And I found a big monolith, uh, um, extremely brutally large enterprise data warehouse. and he started asking me, well, if we become much more data savvy and uh, do more data intensive type of use cases, what kind of architecture would you propose? And I very much felt when yeah, I, together with my colleagues, we started pioneering at the time on a relatively new and also interesting con concept, what you probably would call today a data mesh. So it has lots of similarities, but there are also maybe some slightly nuances, I think, to that article Hasamak uh, put down. And I, yeah, in addition, became so enthusiastic about this yeah, new architecture that I also started writing a book. In the same period, I feel, Samak also studied maybe similar concepts. So I think in parallel or maybe almost at the same time, we, uh, yeah, we released that content. So she put that article huh, online while I was more or less closing off uh, that book for O'Reilly with the title Data Management at Scale. So there, Probably uh, there will be lots of similarities, but also differences and uh, nuances in that respect. Yeah, and, and I'll put a, a link to the the book in the, the show notes. I've, cool, thanks. Um, uh, you know, I've I've got it on my reading shelf. Um, I, I need to finish uh, Jamax uh, <laughs> first, uh, <I> <laughs> early release first, and and that. But uh, you know, I've had a lot of people say very very positive things and again uh your articles as well have been very very helpful so today specifically we're talking about domain driven design for data it, many people in the data space are just not even familiar at all with domain driven design as a concept how would you think about potentially talking to people about what what's the the so what of this? What does this get us, and what's kind of a, an easy way without going into a lot of the the terminology? And then we can talk about how this is applicable to data and, and where people can really start, and and that they don't have to map out absolutely everything ahead of time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. For for me, it's um, a methodology. Really, um, it's about managing something that is really complex and breaking it apart into smaller chunks or pieces. And then this uh, would be maybe something you would call a domain. So you put nicely boundaries on areas where you think it makes sense to manage it as a whole. And, and That's so, maybe in, in, yeah, in a nutshell. Huh? Yeah, and, and so those, those domains would be um, a kind of business concept or something like that, right? And so that can mean a lot of different things, but it could be that it's orders or it could be that it's, you know, you've got a country and the order specific to that country for a large organization may be very different or for a, a region. And so it's it's about what is the 
business map to on the application side? Is that is that how you think about it as well, or, or is that? Um, yeah, I feel it's slightly more difficult because because domains um, also um, studying the book of Eric Evans, he talks about problem spaces we are trying to address and manage. And then this whole concept becomes also a bit polymorphic. Um, So depending on the viewpoint maybe you use, the domain could be each time you look at a certain problem area also slightly different. Do you understand what I mean? Yes, exactly. It's it's kind of, um, I mean, there's an English phrase that I I really don't like because it's there's many ways to skin a cat. Um, And (laughs) but it's 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 that you there isn't a right answer relative to domain-driven design, right? There mm-hmm. isn't a right setup. There are setups that address what you're trying to do well, and that's what you want to get to. It doesn't have to be perfect. There isn't a right answer. And every person that looks at it is going to have a slightly different thought or uh, approach to how they would break it up, but it's to break up the business from a certain sense into smaller man- manageable chunks, like you you said. So, and that you have those kind of firm boundaries between the different um, things so that there isn't white space and that you don't have overlap. Because if you have white space, then you have things where um, that are important to the, to the overall business that aren't being, you know, covered Mm-hmm. And if you have overlap, then there's contention. <laughs> and, exactly. But, and but, but those boundaries can change as things evolve, right? It's not that those are set in stone. It's that those are firm but malleable. They'll they'll change as as the business changes. Um, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I, I saw an, a funny picture of someone, and he showed um, yeah the United States of America. And well, if you project maybe from different viewpoints, then the boundaries will shift. So if you take, for example, the states, then you will see clear lines. But if you, for example, look at the density of the population or maybe project your view on COVID-19, for example, the the map would entirely look different. So this is, I think, also with domain-driven design. So those domain boundaries are fluid and also depend on the viewpoint you you take. Yeah, and even... Like accents and things like that, where you you look at okay, this is where an accent is, and it doesn't care what state or what county you're in or whatever. You know, it's very much okay. Here is how this maps out, and you might have this. There's one in the U.S. where there's this really weird little place in North Carolina that has mm-hmm. just the most bizarre accent relative to the rest of America, and so you might have that same kind of concept. Exactly. Um, So within the data space specifically, you know, taking, if if we've mapped domain-driven or if if we're using domain-driven design and mapped our our domains on the application side, how do you start to think about approaching that for the data? Do you think the easiest way to, to step into that, to just start, is to find one where the application and the data relatively match and say, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to start here. (laughs) I get your point. Yeah, I think at the time, so when I was working for ABNMRO, we we also tried to approach it from that angle. So let's take the the application viewpoint, for example, and would that maybe 
being approached to nicely form those boundaries. But then when we started studying applications, well, we learned, for example, there are also applications sometimes which are shared between different business departments. So then you really need to peek inside that application, look maybe even at the database level and find the roles. For example, you then can align to different business departments. So then taking an application, for example, as a viewpoint might be quite difficult. And also what we learned, sometimes applications, they work closely, really closely together to accomplish uh, a certain business need or to solve a particular business problem. So yeah, then sometimes, often multiple applications are tied up and they closely work together to solve a particular business need. So yeah, therefore I advocate a bit to also look at business architecture as a methodology for yeah, finding those domain boundaries. And uh, those who are not familiar with business architecture, it's it's a way of yeah, decomposing your yeah, business activities um, yeah, with a framework. Uh, um, for example, you could use BizBoc. And then inside that framework, there's a concept called uh, business capability. And there... Um, you will see that typically there are people and processes and there's technology and there's data all working together to solve a particular business need. And I think this business capability maps and resonates really well also in the way we would like to you know, draw these doma domain boundaries also inside our data landscape, for, for instance, for example. Yeah, I think, I think you covered that extremely well in your uh, article as well. Um, I, again, as, as typical, I'll drop links in the show notes, but I would say this is one where um, if you haven't read a lot of this stuff, it might be useful to even hit pause and, and go read uh, Pietine's articles. I think they build on each other nicely and they, they make it so that you can see what one might look like rather than the abstract. You do a great job of, of putting in figures to say, this is what this might look like. And uh, the, the last figure in, in the uh, domain driven design one just kind of blew my mind because there's so much in it where I was like, I think an engineer type is mm -hmm. going to get this one. <laughs> <But> <laughs> when I don't know exactly what this uh, little symbol means or whatever, I'm just like, okay, I, uh, I've gotten the, the points that I think you're trying to make, but uh, the, the articles are really, really fantastic. Thanks. I really recommend yeah. people reading yeah, I try to stuff. make it practical, but I also must admit I describe an ideal world huh, where applications and people and processes are nicely aligned also with your domains. <laughs> I also know from practice uh, <laughs> the reality can be quite cumbersome and also that's, difficult. That's part of why I'm doing this podcast, right, is to mm -hmm. dig into what what would be ideal and yet what would be what's the the real realities of the situation because you know um no company is ideal no setup is ideal if if you're trying to say well data mesh has to match exactly jamax article then the company is going to be fictitious because mm -hmm. every company has certain aspects but like are you taking the spirit of it, are you trying to, to really match that? So the we're, we're talking a little bit about find, you know the, the boundaries between domains, but like if someone were to be trying to start a data mesh POC, mm -hmm. 
How much work do you think they need to allocate to domain-driven design at the start, right? Is it is it okay to find a domain or a use case and that you're not as worried about what are the outside boundaries? You just know that this specific uh, data product that you're creating fits within a boundary and you haven't really mapped that full boundary. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you know that it's in the center and you know that it's that there's some boundary, but you're not getting anywhere close to it. So you don't care. Yeah. What I learned, well, there are different approaches. So one way of seeing this is, well, you put down the platform and you start onboarding all of these data sources. And in that journey, you learn and discover. So where do you place that boundaries and where does cohesion make sense and you align people, etc. But this could be... I think long shot also quite difficult because in that transition, you will learn maybe you also need to modify or alter the the organization and then you will bump into political resistance or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's another way of approaching this. And um, again, this could be cumbersome is you upfront start to map out all of these different domains. You explore the enormous uh, landscape of applications you have find people that are knowledgeable and yeah, do this domain-driven design workshops, for instance, to, um, to find all of these different boundaries. But this might also slow you down. So maybe a balanced approach could be something in between where you, yeah, in a number of weeks, you try to map out a high, really high level your organization and, and see, well, where might things get tricky or difficult? especially when applications um, are shared across multiple business departments. I learned from my own experience, well, these are the obvious most complicated candidates. And then in between, you start transitioning yourself towards that more uh, domain-oriented architecture and building out the data mesh you want to have. So, but if someone is is just trying to do their POC, do you think that they that they could do that high level mapping and and pick one domain and and be okay with that or pick a couple of domains where where would you think if somebody's trying to get started with this and and how big do you think the mapping exercise should be is this one architect going out and doing this or is this um you know whole company is kind of putting everything on pause to help map this out like how 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 would you go about that about the latter, I think it's the one. So it's something in between. So it won't be one architect. So you need many architects to do this. But I think you should also not pass your entire organization. But indeed, it's a transition where, yeah, you with the knowledgeable people um, yeah, need to come to nuance and find these domain boundaries. And I think it's also up to you as a company how fine grained you would like things to be. So, for example, I very much value data reusability. So, at ABN Emro, we set the domain boundaries really fine-grained. And um, I think we had different boundaries. So, we made boundaries around applications to force them really to onboard the data, make nicely modeled data products, for instance. But we also had boundaries set for ownership, accountability, when it comes to data quality and managing all the metadata. So we had different boundaries really in a way. So domain-driven design, then you can, and this comes back to that polymorphic 
approach. So depending on the viewpoint, so if you look at the applications and uh, we use the, the concept of golden sources where the uniquely created data sits within, we use that viewpoint, so the application viewpoint for setting the, the boundaries on application level and ensuring those applications are pro properly managed and the data will be disclosed. And okay. then a bit higher, so more on the business layer or level, we again apply domain-driven design, but it's more about where um, managing the applications as a whole and taking accountability for that data and the metadata management and the data quality, for instance, uh, as a whole. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's really... Does helpful. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. And, and I think, um, but, but where I'm really trying to drive to is, is, again, if somebody's just trying to do their POC, how much of this, this work do they have to do? Because data mesh is, is a massive journey and yes. so how much do you think that they need to do to get their POC done? And, and do you think somebody has to have been doing domain-driven design before you start to apply domain-driven design for data? I personally think the answer is yes. a strong yes. Well, <laughs> um, yes. To, to, to admit, to, to be frankly, uh, we we started, I think, also at David Emro without maybe not knowing domain different design at all or by heart. So I think very well you can start with a proof of concept, find that use case, find the candidates of your data sources, where the data sits in and get the data onboarded. But I think when you want to scale up and um, make your teams accountable for that data and apply self-service, and have more autonomous teams working on the data and delivering all these uh, nicely data products, then yes, I think you need to study and practice also domain-driven design. On the application side? Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, yeah, okay. And, and so people are looking at, at what, what is the most important thing to understand at, at the start, right? Again, Domain-driven design for data is such a new concept. I think there's probably been five total articles on this, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yes. At least the five that I know, because it's like yours and Juanis Rosiers has put out one. Uh, Paula Plotter's put out one. Um, uh, Danilo Sato and Jamak did a, a, a webinar. But like, that's it. That's pretty much the entire <laughs> solution mm -hmm. space around domain-driven design for data. So how would you recommend people learn how to do this? Is it learned by doing or is it is there some theory that, that they really need to, to fall back on? Or what? if somebody think, came to you yeah. and said, how do I do this? And you had, you know, three minutes to explain, like, how would you go about your first month or three months mm -hmm. with this? How, how would you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I think implicitly, looking at more the operational landscape, we already do this. So uh, in the transactional world, <laughs> you see often nicely we organize all these applications around certain business areas and, and business problems we would like to solve. So implicitly and naturally, we do this already. But I think more when it comes to data management and consuming data and doing analytics, there I think it's more brand new. Um, and I think, yes, you can 
reuse lots of the experience you gained maybe from the operational world. So um, yeah, what is the purpose you, you try to solve also with the analytical data, for instance? What use case are you trying to build out? And I think maybe look at these dimensions and then connect it to the business areas. So start with the why, right? Yes. What are you you actually trying to do here? I kind of say that with um, data mesh. I I don't care what, if if somebody is able to solve their data management challenges, I don't care if they call it data mesh or they call it unicorn farts. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me, right? Like Mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, it's it if we can find the ways to do this great like let's share it let's figure out how how we can apply it to more uh people so what one of the things that i really liked that you talked about and and i do think it's probably um standard in a way in a lot of the ways that ddd talks about um about how domains interact but you talked about like data products are the way that domains communicate their data to each other, right? That that's like a tool for communicating across domain boundaries. And so you can really map your domains as well as to like, what are your data product needs? And then figure out what's the domain that 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 fits into is, I wouldn't recommend that that's the the best way to try and back into all of your domains, but you start... Mm -hmm you start to have that emerge and you start to say, oh, we might have a new domain here. But like, how do you think about um, that initial conversation between domains as to here's what I'm going to own and here's why and here's how I'm going to share it? Totally makes sense because I think if you look at those domains, it's, it's typically what you see, it's the area where knowledge and behavior and laws and language all come together. So it absolutely also makes sense to align it with these data products because these data products come out of these systems um, within this domain where people speak a certain language. And um, I also learned over the years, well, people design these systems also based on the language they speak and use within this domain. So to me, it all falls nicely together. But, you know, we're always risking um, the data silo issue as well. So you've talked a lot about in your article about interoperability standards or in, in kind of your your set of articles. How do you think about data product design and making sure that you're maximizing the context and maximizing the usability or the usefulness for consumers, but also of the data product and of the data product in the greater business concept? Like how, how mm-hmm. do you balance those? Cause I, that's just magic to me right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think first and foremost, indeed these data products uh, um, are there to be used to um, distribute data between one domain and another domain. They should inherit the language also from this domain, but they should also act as an anti-corruption layer or act as an abstraction layer. You do, you do not want to peek in directly um, into the op- yeah, operational data and the transactional systems because often these are hor- horribly complex, heavily normalized. And there's also tightly <laughs> coupling then. So if you start directly reading from those transactional applications and someone within the domain would change that operational system, then all of these different pipelines from those data consumers will be broken. So. 
yes, it needs to be decoupled uh, as well. And yeah, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of guidance also on data products. So you should not leave it uh, to your domains and leave it free for interpretation uh, because then you will start to see a profileration of all kinds of different types of data products. So I very much value standardization uh, in a way to communicate uh, between all of these different data domains. And I think the same we did for service uh, for the service-oriented architecture, where we now have clear standardization, we use REST services and JSON, etc. And the sh- same, I think, you should do for more the, the data distribution side. So, for example, think of it always has to be a parquet file, there has to be a clear uh, metadata file uh, along with uh, that file, for instance. It needs to be uh, modeled nicely in the language of the domain. Ideally, you group data together um, in certain subject areas, et cetera, et cetera. So this domain thinking and also using data products uh, um, in in a way for distributing data between one domain and another domain comes with lots of, I think, also guidance and standards and principles you need to set. And I think what, what I'm seeing emerge from these conversations is standardization equals bad, standards equals good, right? Of you're, you're providing this blueprint and you're saying, hey, you have to adhere to these standards so that you play nicely. But if you want to go and use this crazy new system, it's not part of our platform. So mm-hmm. you're the one who has to support it. You have to do the extra work to use that if you want to use that. But you have to put this in a way where it plays nice. Because if all you have is a data silo, even if it's high quality data, even if it's great, it's not that useful in the greater enterprise context, the greater organizational context. So balancing between, you know, what I've tried to, to talk about is, is that we're trying to maximize our business context in the way that our data is shared, but also maximize the interoperability. If you look at the, exactly. uh, the data warehouse, Data warehouse maximizes that interoperability and that usability, but you're dropping context absolutely everywhere. You know, the traditional enterprise uh, data warehouse, not data warehousing, because that's the uh, an application of <laughs> of how things can work rather than, um, you know, I'm kind of thinking of like Snowflake is not necessarily the traditional enterprise data warehouse kind of concept, but um, that there is some balance there and that we have to, but we have to provide those blueprints, right? Mm-hmm. We have to provide the, the easy button for people where we say, this is kind of the standard way of doing it. If you want to do your own way, you've got to do a lot more work yourself, but you, you stop people from having to imagine everything in their own head. If you have to come up with it all yourself. It is going to lead to that chaos. Yeah, and I think in that respect, you can also make nuances. And and therefore, I think it still makes sense to do that domain modeling up front because maybe in some of your domains, you would maybe want to let go of some of your principles and standards. So you allow maybe for slightly different interoperability formats. Well, maybe for other domains, you want to be more strict. So you can balance out, I think, also nicely your architecture in that respect, depending on yeah, what your organization wants and uh, also the risk appetite and how much control you would like to have. And when you're saying the domain modeling there, do you mean the data model for the domain or do you mean figuring out what are the boundaries of the domain? 
or is it kind of yes? Yeah, I, I refer more to that to that uh, business capability model. So, for example, if you, you if you refer back and take that article again, um, you see a high level overview of an, an an image I created of an imaginary um, yeah, airline company, and there you see all of these different business capabilities. And those, for example, you could very well align to your different domains. And then, if you have such a business capability model. You could uh, project uh, certain principles also on that. So maybe at the bottom where you see all supporting capabilities, maybe you want to let go of some of your principles. Well, maybe for your core capabilities, you want to be more strict and insist on certain interoperability usage, metadata collection, and so on. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, this is I'm, I'm trying to uh, take it all in. It's it's a bit of a fire hose because a lot of this. To me, domain-driven design, uh, even for data, is kind of it. It's at the same point extremely complex and extremely easy, because the concept is just like, well, you're you're just sharing your data and you're just saying what what is a that that business capability, and those are kind of easy to see in a lot of cases. But again, you could be approaching it from a few different angles, and so coming together around what is our business capability that we're going to form that domain around can be be more difficult to agree on and that you can you need to be constantly reassessing like you know um kind of pre-covid post-covid or pre-covid uh and then uh since then a lot 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 of things have changed for most businesses (laughs) so um it's like you, you need to be flexible in how that that works, but that you need to, again, not look to just kind of be real fuzzy and have three people or three domains that are kind of owning the same thing. And it just makes things exceedingly complex because people don't know to go who to go to. And that confusion creates unnecessary friction. There's always friction in business, but there's a lot of ways to get that unnecessary friction. I mean, th- this is just me kind of summing up a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that you said. Sorry, I'm I'm not. Yeah, the, sure. yeah I I'm think not you're, here. you're you're doing that. So, um, you know, I kind of want to circle back to we we've gone through a lot of context sharing, but like what I'm looking for you to give to people as well from this is the permission to move forward. A lot of people are, whether rightly or wrongly, using domain-driven design for data as their blocker, their reason for being blocked when moving forward. So if you were to put yourself in their position about doing a POC or kind of starting to, to move down this path, um, what, what advice would you give them? What, what would you say to, you know, get over that hump and kind of get through to, to get moving? Maybe my recommendation then would be um, start with the physical layer. So the technology layer, I think this is most stable and also something you can really touch. So it, it's very concrete in that respect. And then application after application, uh, you, you move over and at the same time you, you study those applications. So 
what are those applications um, being used for? Who, who owns the data inside these applications? Are these applications, for example, shared between uh, different business departments or do they solely belong to a single business unit or department, for, for instance? And I think in that transition, then you can start thinking of so where to place those domain boundaries. And I think it's also dialogue you need to have with your business um, stakeholders and, and those who will take accountability also for the data. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, how, how, how do you think about figuring out what data products you should start with in a domain and then kind of as you evolve that domain and it matures, how, you know, you, I'm assuming you're not saying let's create all the data products up front, but how do you, um, how do you think about your first data product, your second data product, your fifth data mm-hmm. product within a domain? Um, yeah, also depends do you want to go for maximum reusability? So, and I think there you again need to strike a balance. So when your first use case arrives, you could disclose maybe only the data needed for that particular use case. But that might maybe not entirely reusable maybe for other domains. So you could then also start up the dialogue uh, with that particular domain. So do you know what data is mostly candidate for intensive data consumption? And then in start of maybe selecting only the data for that particular use case, you make maybe a broader selection of the data from that particular domain and model that into one or multiple data products and make that data available. I would not encourage domains to make all data immediately upfront available because often a lot of data is also not subject to any data usage from other domains. But personally, I think the owners of that particular domain, they probably know most well what data will be used. And maybe they can learn maybe from previous data requests, uh, point-to-point interfaces they have designed over the years. Um, Yeah, I think this is an interesting push-pull. You know, um, Pat Helen came out with the concept of data on the outside. and I started to talk a little bit about data on the threshold where you're like, is this on the inside or the outside, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's in that in-betweeny phase, but that you also, as you said, especially up front, you don't want to share all the data because you haven't really thought through probably how to structure everything. And so you're, you're setting yourself up for failure by trying to provide everything. So, um, yeah, and and I think the conversations around what data to share and why is such a new concept that people mm-hmm. just haven't thought about doing that data product management and marketing. Do you have any advice or tips on going to another domain and just saying, hey, here's what we're looking at sharing. What here, Here's our menu of what data we've got, what data do you Mm -hmm. want? And then when they just say all of it, you say, no, like, how do you move forward with that? Well, I think we can leverage a lot of the best practices and lessons learned also from still the enterprise, maybe data warehousing concept or how we design data warehouses. So you, you do not want to push out raw technical data to all of your data users. 
So what we did in the data warehouse, we I think we built a nice proper abstraction. So we used dimensions and fact tables, and we transformed all of these strange abbreviations and technical numbers you find in these horrible complex systems to more nicely readable figures, for example. Uh, we grouped organically the data. Um, we renamed columns so for better read readability, and you could better recognize so what data might be sitting there. So I encourage you also to look at that. Not saying you should build, again, a tightly integrated data warehouse and mix all of your data products together because they correspond and linked to one domain. So there's no upfront integration. But lots of the best practices and lessons learned you could uh, take from that. Yeah, so somebody on Twitter made a joke about data mesh being a headless data warehouse. And I was like, nope, that's actually kind of what it is, right? In a <laughs> way, maybe, yes. <laughs> you've got the interoperability uh, potential. And, and that's where I think a, a good pathway to go as well here is if a domain is sharing their data relative to trying to make it so that other domains can use it, that's typically the producer aligned or source aligned data product that Jamak has talked about as well. Mm -hmm. How do you start to do, you know, DDD for data for the other types, you know, the consumer aligned. And I think you, you said the reusable and sometimes that's called the combined, but like, you know, these downstream data products, how do you start to see those domains emerge and recognize them when you're, when you know, th these things need to have true yes. owners and true focus. Yeah, I learned <laughs> this is to, to admit really hard. Huh? So first recommendation I could give, look at the different use cases. You need data always for a particular use case or scenario or huh, there, there's a business need. So I think this is the starting point where data will be used and consumed for and also forms a boundary in that respect. But what I learned also over the years is often um, yeah, data we would like to integrate. So, so could also be, um, yeah, maybe let me rephrase it different. Um, there's lots of reusability and uh, repetitive steps when it comes to integrating data for your use cases. So let me give an example. So customer data and orders data, you would most typically always want to combine it. So if you have 30 consuming asking domains, one way could be if you ask all of these individual domains to do the same style or type of integration. But you could also maybe put in between an additional domain that builds again a nice abstraction or build a, a new data product. And then that would be served to all of these different consuming data domains. And I believe well, Samak calls this an aggregate. And uh, what I also learned over the years, there are different approaches. So um, you could um, foresee a customer supplier pattern. So maybe one use case um, takes up the burden of building this often demanded, highly required uh, combination of integration. So then that new data product would come out of an existing domain on the uh, on the consuming side. But when multiple domains ask for this, you could also think of maybe a shared domain where um, maybe you take away uh, a few of these people from these different consuming domains, you build out a new domain and then this newly created domain 
takes accountability for building that data product, which is often then required by all of these, these different consuming domains. And then also what I learned, well, sometimes you see we, on the analytical side, we you know, create new insights and we derive data from existing data. So this then would be newly created data. And this could also be a data product. So there are different patterns uh, uh, I see. Okay. And, and, and I think this is somewhat the frustration people have with data mesh is that there are different ways to approach it and there's different ways to, to get where you want to. And some people just want a, here's the prescriptive answer versus here's, here are, are some ways you need to figure out what works for your organization. But I think mm-hmm. that those are the types of recommendations that work best, right? <laughs> yes. And it's, it's also transition. So something, for example, I learned, well, um, yeah, we had this very complex use case and uh, this use case was st- started building out data and doing tons of integration, but the outcome was also very much interested for other domains. So instead of keeping it within the domain, we decided to maybe move it back a little bit. So move it out. And we asked this domain to, instead of directly consuming data and integrating data, why not first make a new data product and then consume this as input for that particular use case. And this would allow also other domains to reuse that newly created data product. So we decoupled the integration part from the use case part in that respect. And this could also be an approach. So there are different ways of doing this. Yeah, that's it's, it's such a complicated and, and uh, difficult thing to really figure out precisely. So it's great to have this, this perspective. Um, as we're kind of approaching the end here of, of our time, uh, do you have any advice as to, as people move forward with DDD for data, like how to keep an eye out for when things need to shift, when things need to change, or what are the kind of anti-patterns that you, you'd kind of talk about? Good question. Um... Yeah, something that comes up, um, I would map map things out, at least make it transparent. So you could think of why not build out a list of all of your applications you have and flag those applications uh, which are in that respect unique and where data is being created uh, and flag those as, as golden sources, for example. Also make a list maybe of your domains. So make it really concrete and transparent for your organization. So what domains really we identified and, and who, who takes accountability responsibility for that particular domain. And then maybe also start linking the applications to those particular domains. So it becomes really transparent. So what applications, both from the um, source system side, but also for the analytical side, belong to what domains, for instance. And I learned, well, this, this I think, eases communication between all of these different domains. Yeah. No. And then lastly, um, indeed, in addition, then also list out all of these data products. And again, link those to the different applications. So people <laughs> know, well, these, these data products originated from these applications and they belong to these different domains and this person takes accountability for that. So, Yeah, I think that's that's a, a really, really helpful summation. And again, I'll, I'll drop the links uh, to your articles and the, the book in the show notes. Um, is there, you know, if people want to get in touch with you and, and ask you questions, what is the best place to find you 
on LinkedIn or, or where? where yeah, link, LinkedIn uh, works really well. So people can drop me a note or uh, respond to any of these articles. And um, I think we're all in a transition and learning. So if you have better or new insights, I also encourage you, so all of these listeners, to jump in and start writing and commenting on uh, yeah, the exactly. knowledge we share. Yeah. That's why that's why I'm doing this podcast is I'm I'm bad at writing, but I, I think if I can extract the context from others, I think it's very, very helpful. So this was f- phenomenal. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, uh, Pitain, for, for your time. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I want to thank my guest today, Pitain Strangholt, a Senior Cloud Solution Architect at Microsoft. As I mentioned previously, there are links to three of Pitain's articles as well as his book in the show notes. I think they're all really good for reading and thinking about what can you apply to your company. I think there's one where he, he lays out 18 points uh, that he 18 solid recommendations around data mesh. And I think there are a lot of really good things to consider in that, as well as the other two articles, which are a little bit more focused on domain-driven design. So Highly recommend checking that out in the show notes. And again, thanks so much for a great episode, Pitain. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.